from WCOZ, Where's Cause Radio. This is The Stray Mile. This song is instantly recognizable to any Nintendo nerd like me as the theme song to The Legend of Zelda, a classic. And in Tokyo, in the Akihabara district, it was one awesome Nintendo nostalgia moment after the other, and I could have spent more money on video games than I did for my ticket to Japan. My name is Matt, this is The Stray Mile, and as you know, I'm trying to track down my English teacher, Kaz, who has moved to Asia. And I got a big break on that front, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. But first, I want to hear from my friends Caro and Fabian, who are expats living in Tokyo, learning to live without a certain word that they have grown very used to having in their vocabulary. They don't say no. Um, They don't, um, like, I think Germany is a very straight country, I would say. If a German person doesn't like anything, they will say, say it to you quite clear uh, clearly um but um in japan it's like it's like never a no it's just like um yeah there's the word no really doesn't exist so much i would say it's it's more um to read the persons more clearly if they say oh yes we will try or um um it it it's very hard at the moment. That's actually a no. Yeah. But if you don't know about it, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. It's going to happen. He really tries. And maybe tomorrow I received a yes and it worked out. And now we're clear. And then after yeah. a while, they don't come back to you. You don't receive an email back and whatever. And then talking to others. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, he kind of said no. Like, no, he didn't. <laughs> so challenging uh, translates into impossible. <laughs> so, yeah. Or if you... If you ask, I don't know how you're doing. I mean, also in the US, it's just a phrase, more or less. But uh, anyway, they give an answer and then it's either yes, yes, I'm feeling well. Or if it's really going bad, they just say, ah, chato, which means ah, a little bit. So they don't even say, I'm not feeling well. They don't say, I feel a little bit unwell. They just say, I feel a little bit. And that's, that's it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so there is no no or something like this. And also when they talked about uh, conflict situations, uh, Japanese hate being some kind of a argument or something. So you can really see that, that sometimes we're in meetings and I don't know, you, you have a discussion for like half an hour or 45 minutes and you feel like, okay, now we're at a point where we could come to a conclusion or something like this. But for them, it's, it's, such a they feel so uncomfortable in this kind of argument situation they just want it to stop they don't care about the outcome it just has to stop so that you discuss for 45 minutes you could come to a decision or something and then you just say ah let's talk later about it and you can really see in their faces this thought about postponing is so relieving and like ah yes let's talk about later and they just that they just wasted 45 minutes of discussion that's not that's not so important but the conflict situation is gone and that's really strange um well of course i mean germans love conflict (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) germans germans like to uh yell at each other and be very straightforward and express their opinions are you biting your tongue a lot uh Sometimes, because I have a Japanese customer, 
and the customer supplier situation in Japan is even is it's much different to what you find in Western countries. So uh, I mean, in Germany there's a saying, uh, "Der Kunde ist König," customer is king. In Japan is the customer is God, mm -hmm. and it's really like this. Yeah. So there is no questioning the customer. Everything he says is right. And for me, I'm project manager, and a lot of my my the biggest part of my project team is German handling a Japanese customer yeah so then you have this straightforward attitude this conflict kind of thing in Germany with your with your project team and then you have the god kind of customer in Japan who expects to be treated like a king or like a god and your project team in Germany they don't care about that that's just they are still in their German attitude so that's also uh, quite a challenge actually I've really noticed very polite, very respectful culture, and um, Germans know how to be polite and aren't mean to each other all the time. <laughs> I've noticed that one in living there for eight years, but um, I've noticed you know lots of bowing and lots of no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first. Oh, let me hold the door for you. Oh no, let me hold the door for you. Have you found it difficult to adapt that? I mean, Caro, you seem to have. You're pretty good at it, even though you're a mean German. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, actually, this is okay so far because, like, they're really nice. It's not, um, or to me at least, it seems they're very nice and they mean to be very nice. Um, this is not very challenging for me. It's sometimes just understanding. Um, um, yeah, like those... I think I told you today also, um, if, if um, in Germany you hold the door open for someone, you maybe say thank you. Here it is, um, they actually excuse for it. They say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you have to hold the door open for me. So it's like very different and those little, I don't speak Japanese quite well. Um, I just know a few phrases and a few words so far. But um, yeah, it's very much about apologizing and about the culture. And as you just mentioned, the bowing, it's very, um, for me right now, it's a bit funny to to see it, but like the one who's, uh, it's all about hierarchy. So the one um, which is like lower in the hierarchy, um, bows even lower and stays there. And I had this one experience, uh, I, I went to a um, shop just buying a scarf, nothing like really, really expensive. <laughs> and I was buying the scarf and um, Japanese like to wrap, wrap very nicely and took me about half an hour um, to just wait for them to wrap the present. <laughs> so I was sitting there, actually they offered me some tea, some ocha. So I was waiting there and it took and it took longer and longer. And I thought, okay, um, I'm not sure if something's wrong. No, they were just doing a very good job. And then they were finished, I paid for it, and I just wanted to grab the bag and walk outside. This wasn't possible. So he was just guiding the way, um, carrying the bag with the scarf in it, which was nicely wrapped. And then he opened the door for me, handed me the bag with two hands, of course, always two hands. And then he was just bowing. It was like a 90 degrees angle. He was just looking down. He wasn't even looking at me anymore. I felt quite uncomfortable in the situation. I just said, yeah, thank you in Japanese. Arigato gozaimasu. And um, yeah, I just looked back and looked at him and he was still in this position until he couldn't see me anymore or I couldn't see him anymore. It's like so strange because as you just said in Germany, it's not always that nice. 
um, yeah, it's it's different. I say it's very different. Life is complicated at the moment for Caro and Fabian. They work a lot, and they're not seeing a lot of karaoke bars like I did at the end of my trip in Tokyo. So I hope one day to go back and see more of Japan, and I hope that Caro and Fabian will soon start enjoying Tokyo the same way that I have. Now to the big breakthrough on the cause front. A reader on StrayMile.com named Leland sent me an email. He said he was also one of Kaz's students a few years before me at Kamiak High School, and he wrote me this. Last I heard, he and his wife were teaching at an English school in Myanmar for a couple of years. In classic Kaz fashion, he joked that he was concerned that he was somehow going to get mixed up with the wrong people and end up the puppet dictator of some military junta. That sounds just like Kaz. Thanks very much, Leland, for the tip. And I guess that means I'm headed to Myanmar. I have to admit, I don't really know much about Myanmar other than what occasionally would come up when I used to work in an international newsroom. I know it was colonized by the British. I know it gained independence during World War II, but then the military kind of took over, the military junta, as Leland mentioned, and they ran things for several decades. One of the most outspoken critics of the military junta was put under house arrest for several years in the 1990s. Her name is Aung San Suu Kyi, and she was a winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. Recently, though, things have changed a bit in Myanmar. Aung San Suu Kyi was released from house arrest. The country held elections, and her party won. And they now rule the country, along with some of the leftover military generals. But democracy is slowly taking hold. My first stop in Myanmar is an area called Bagan, where freedom sounds just like this. That's the sound the e-bikes make when you turn the key and you switch them off. Everybody called them e-bikes, but really they were electronic scooters, and they are the best way to get around Bagan. You just hop on, ease back the electronic throttle, and cruise down the road at a cool 25 miles an hour. Where are you going to go on these e-bikes? Well, you're going to go check out the hundreds and hundreds of pagodas that dot the horizon as far as you can see. That's what Bagan is known for. The history of Bagan stretches back well over a thousand years, and for the entire time, people have been building pagodas, or Buddhist temples, in the area. They're made of stone. Some are large and pretty intricate, and others are more modest and smaller. But always inside, there is at least one statue of Buddha, and you always take your shoes off before stepping inside. So I'd hop on my e-bike and just cruise down the road until I would spot a random pagoda off in the distance somewhere. Then I would turn onto a dirt path and just drive right at it. And that's how I ended up one day at the Sitanagi Pagoda. And as I was walking around it, it was a little different than the other ones because there really wasn't anywhere you could go inside. So it was just kind of, kind of like a pyramid, it seemed like, with no way inside. But that's until a local guy who lived right there with his family next to the pagoda came out and said, hey, do you want to go inside? We climbed up the side of the pagoda, about 15 feet off the ground, where there was a tiny little window, which he opened, and it was barely enough for me to shimmy through and head deep inside the temple. Hands and knees. Okay, getting low clearance here. Oh. You all right? Yep, no problem. Just bump my head. 
My guide, Zozo, led on, lighting the way with a flashlight in the pitch dark. At times, I was crawling on all fours, barely able to squeeze through, and other times the room opened up and we could stand. After three or four tunnels, we came to a room, and Zozo stopped. We just crawled through on our hands and knees. We're in the middle of this temple, right? In the very, very middle. Yeah, very small. They say he did inside. They say very small inside, and he did inside so many parts. Yeah, there's a lot of parts, and so many batshit. No good smelling, no good oxygen. Very dangerous. He wasn't kidding about the batshit. They were constantly winging past our heads, and where there's bats, there's lots of guano. But there was also a statue perched on an alcove in the middle of the complete darkness. Zozo shined his flashlight on the statue so I could see it. This is sandstone Buddha. This is a very old 13th century Buddha. And why is we've gone inside? Why is the Buddha inside so so deep? Ah, uh, yeah. They say he did inside. They say 13th century he did this original inside. Original inside. They said only clothes. They say the clothes, 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 clothes. They said before this is Second World War, Japanese opening. Because he did inside uh, many Buddha, sandstone Buddha, gold Buddha. They said Japanese, Second World War, Japanese opening. And uh, altogether, they said outside take off, carry. Only just one he time or they said sandstone Buddha, only one. I understood that the pagoda had been built in the 13th century, and several Buddha statues were deliberately placed inside the pagoda and closed off. In World War II, the Japanese opened the tunnels and carried off all but one of the Buddhas, the one in front of me. Not a lot of people come in here, huh? Ah, uh, today you're first one. I'm lucky. <laughs> lucky, yeah. Yeah, there's no one here. No other people. No, no. no. Okay, this is very hot. Go yes, outside. yes, thank you very much. <laughs> we traced our steps back, and soon I could see my hand in front of my face without the flashlight. We're back outside now. I've been given a hand wash and a feet wash because my feet got pretty dusty and uh, thankfully a bottle of water and now we're outside in the fresh air which a while ago was very hot but compared to inside is very nice. We stood in the shade and Zozo told me he had lived there for 25 years taking care of the pagoda. Who lives here with you? My living in this uh, my mother, this is uh, my wife, my three children, me and the Buddha. Yeah. I said goodbye to Zozo and got back on the bike, heading back to my hotel. When I got there, I explored the village next door, where a game of cane ball was underway. Using a ball made of rattan that crunched when it was hit, a group of younger guys was kicking and heading the ball back and forth over a makeshift net. It was volleyball combined with soccer, and I wasn't the only one who had stopped to watch. Camille, who came from Bordeaux in France, was traveling around after finishing a degree in wine marketing. Uh, after the studies, I just wanted to make a trip in Asia, Southeast Asia. So I started it two weeks ago, I think. And I just want to study it by the Myanmar country. Why? There's lots of countries in Southeast Asia. Why did you want to come to Myanmar? Because it's opened, it just opened these doors. Yeah and I wanted to see the country before it's becoming too touristic. And what do you think so far? Is it too touristy or is it, is it okay right now? No, it's really touristic. There is a lot of French people like me and there is a lot of German people also. And there is also a lot of tourists here, but the population still is still 
welcoming and smiling, which is really, I don't know, nice to see. And even if they don't speak very good English like me, they always want to help you. And they will always try to do, 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 your, do their best to help you. I left the pagodas of Bagan, took a train to Yangon, and there it was the friendliness of the people in Myanmar, specifically a taxi driver, that literally led me to Kaz's doorstep. So I'm looking for my um, my former English teacher. His name is his name is Kaz. He's got glasses, uh, a gray beard. Um, do you know him? Yes, I know him. Well. You do. You know him. Yes, yes, I know him well. How how do you know Kaz? Uh, Mr. Kaz and, and uh, his wife. Uh, their couple is very nice couple because uh, they took my taxi long time already. So start hire once and then later they call me very often. Well, that's perfect. I am in. Uh, I found the right taxi driver in all of Yangon. Can you take me to him? Yes, yes, of course I will. I will. Every time I I'm free, whenever I I help. The foreigners because this is my country this is my duty also the same <laughs> he dropped me off outside a four-story building i climbed the stairs to the top floor and then knocked on the door my name is bill costello my students oftentimes called me cause i worked in the muckleteal school district which is a suburban school district north of seattle washington for 34 years I taught initially at Mariner High School and then since its opening at Kamiak High School until I retired two years ago, at least retired from that system, and then with my wife moved to Myanmar, formerly Burma, and I currently teach at Yangon International School here in Yangon. I came to Asia looking for cause and was finally face-to-face -face with him in Yangon, Myanmar. He and his wife Wendy were great hosts and great tour guides, and I'll have more on my visit with them on the next episode of the Stray Mile podcast. In the meantime, be sure and read the rest of the blog on StrayMile.com or follow Stray Mile on Instagram or Facebook. My name is Matt, and thanks for listening. That's like Indiana Jones. Yeah, it is Indiana Jones. <laughs>